Well, good morning, church. I add my welcome to that of Brad's and Pastor Adams as well. It's uh, been an interesting, uh, what, three months now. And uh, about six weeks ago, we started a new series of messages that we call Chasing Happiness. Because we believe that it's possible for us to spend a lot of time and energy in the pursuit of happiness. We <clears throat> might uh, find looking for that happiness in, in relationships or in our work or um, trying to find some kind of satisfaction through the things that we accumulate, new homes or vacations, and all of these things that we think are signs of the good life. But we've been discovering uh, that during COVID-19 that so many of those pursuits have been disrupted or they've kind of come to an end. And we found ourselves thinking a little bit more deeply. So what does it mean to chase happiness from Jesus' perspective? And so we've been looking at the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5. And what he says there is countercultural and it's a reminder of his upside-down kingdom. And what he describes here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount are the character qualities of those who follow him. He explains who he wants them to be and what he wants them to do. Who we are and what we do is ultimately determined by the condition of our hearts. And so far in this series, we have learned that Christ-like people have desperate hearts. That is, they need God and they want to know him. Christ followers have broken hearts. That is, they mourn over their sin and the sin of the world. They have surrendered hearts. That is, they yield to God's will and to others. They, disciples of Jesus are, have, have hungry hearts. They want more of God and his rule. And they have tender, merciful hearts. They look beyond people's faults and they see their own needs. Today, we will unwrap the gift of the sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we're going to learn that Christ-like people have undivided hearts. I'm going to approach this beat this morning by asking and answering, hopefully answering, five questions. Number one, what is the heart? Two, what does it mean to have a pure heart? Three, what does it look like to have a pure heart? Four, How and when will the pure in heart see God? And ultimately, the question that we all need to then ask is, how does my heart become pure? So what is the heart? You see, when the Bible talks about the heart, it isn't talking about that organ in our chest that pumps blood through our bodies. When the Bible refers to the heart, it includes the understanding that the heart is the seat of affections and emotions. And so when Pastor Adam led us in prayer, it's about uh, the emotions that we might feel. But it's way more than that. It actually is the center of a person's being and, and their personality. The center of a person's being and personality. In fact, it's quite complex in that it includes the mind and our wills. Everything comes from the heart. The heart is the control center of a person's life. Human beings have the capacity to think and to feel and to choose. And the place where those thoughts and those emotions and the will all come together is right here at the center of our being, the heart. And since Jesus is concerned about who we are or our character and what we do, our behavior... It will be our heart that reveals who we are 
and our heart will determine what we do. The heart is, in fact, the seat of human personality. It's, it's what makes us tick. It's who we are, in essence. In fact, it's, it's the heart that is the deep inner source that, that gives direction to a person's life. And it is the heart that enables us to relate to God. It's no wonder, then, that Jesus here in these opening verses of chapter 5 highlights the importance of a pure heart. So what then does it mean? <laughs> I think we have a technical issue. So since Jesus is concerned about who we are or our character and what we do, our behavior, it will ultimately be our heart that reveals who we are and our heart will determine what we do. And it's no wonder then that Jesus highlights the importance of a pure heart. So what does it mean to have a pure heart? I think I asked that question already. But the word pure is used about two dozen times in the New Testament, and there are essentially two meanings. So when we say that something is pure, it means, first of all, that it is single, that it is without hypocrisy. It's the same through and through. There's a sincerity, a single-minded devotion. So it's not a mixture of things. It's one thing. You see, there are no trace metals in pure gold. It's all gold and only gold. And so when something is pure, it's all one thing. It's single. The second meaning is that it's clean. It's free from impurities. There's no contaminants, no germs, no dirt. It's clean. It's undefiled. One commentator sums this up beautifully when he writes, The pure in heart are people who are free from impurities and the same through and through. They are about one thing and only one thing. They are always about one pursuit, and every part of them is about one pursuit. The one pursuit they have, he writes, is God. No matter where they are, no matter what they're doing, no matter who they're with, their life revolves around God. You see, we would describe this type of person as having an undivided heart. If you have an undivided heart, by definition, there's nothing else in your heart. There's this single-minded devotion. There's only one compartment, one heart chamber, and it's reserved for God. So there aren't other compartments for your family or for your work or for your leisure activities. There is only one, and God is in it, and he is in everything. Another word that we could use to describe the pure in heart is alignment. The pure in heart are aligned with God. And so if you have an aligned heart, your thoughts and your feelings and your will, they aren't in conflict with each other. They're all aligned with God's purposes for your life. You live one life and you live it for God. 
maybe it'll help to kind of get real and practical about this. So what does it look like then to have a pure heart? If, if, if the heart is the center of our very being, if, if the pure heart is an undivided and aligned heart, what then does it actually look like? You see, again, I remind you that Jesus' concern is for the condition of our heart. And that explains why he had such an issue with the Pharisees. Because they made it all about the external, about their actions and about their behavior. And in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, and I'd invite you to read that maybe even this afternoon sometime. But Jesus has an exchange there with the Pharisees, those religious leaders. They express their concern to Jesus in this way. They say, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. So this wasn't about washing your hands and using hand sanitizer because there's a coronavirus floating around. This was specifically for ceremonial purposes. And the, and the Pharisees were concerned about defilement. In their mind, at least, a person who was defiled was ceremonially then unclean. And a person could be defiled in a number of ways. If they touched a dead body or a diseased person by coming into contact even with a Gentile or even by eating unclean foods. And if someone was defiled, they couldn't enter into the tabernacle. They couldn't celebrate festivals. It was a big deal for the religious leaders. So it's not surprising that they would develop rules and regulations for this ceremonial hand washing. The problem was that hand-washing almost became evidence of a person's faith. Clean hands were it. Hand-washing, if you can imagine, became a public display of spirituality. Physical cleanliness became a sign of godliness. It was like the more you washed, the godlier you were. And so that explains why the Pharisees and the religious leaders were a little put off that Jesus' disciples, they didn't wash their hands in a ceremonial way before eating. And so they questioned Jesus about this. Huge mistake. Because Jesus then calls them out for violating God's commandments. And then he says this in verse 7. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips. So an external act, but he says, get this, their hearts are far from me. He goes on to say, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. In other words, they may have clean hands, but they have dirty, impure hearts. And Jesus doesn't hold back, and he accuses them of pretending to honor God. He's calling into question one of the most fundamental and widely accepted spiritual practices of the day. Why? Because he knows that their hearts weren't in it. There was no alignment between them and God. There was no alignment between their public lives and what people saw on the outside and private lives. There was a disconnect. There was misalignment. And outwardly, they acted as if their lives were all about God, but inwardly, their lives were about other things. Well, Jesus then continues, and he says this, but the words that you speak come from the heart. 
Think about that for a moment. But the words that you speak, this external act of expression, he says, find their source and their root in the heart. And he says to them, he says, that's what defiles you. For from your heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. He says, these are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands, he says, will never defile you. So again, it's very clear that you can see this this disconnect between the external and the internal. That what was happening on the outside was not consistent with what was on the inside. And Jesus paints a pretty ugly picture there. He describes a heart that is full of impurities. Instead of having a single focus, they had compartments. They had a public life and a private life. They may have had clean hands, but they had impure hearts. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's why it's so important that our hearts are pure. So that's what it means to be pure in heart. A heart that is single-minded, aligned, and undivided. But maybe before we distance ourselves from the Pharisees and think that Jesus was only talking about those people, what if we considered some hard truths about ourselves? We see a list like that and we think, oh, we could easily dismiss murder until we remember that Jesus said that if anyone was even angry with a brother or calls someone a fool is guilty of murder. So I wonder, have any hurtful words come out of your mouth this week or out of mine? Maybe some anger or some bitterness directed at someone. Or what about sexual immorality? One of the words that Jesus uses here is porneia, from which we get pornography. And so it refers to any sexual behavior or thought that exploits another person or perverts the beautiful gift of sexuality. Do you have anything like that in the secret places of your life? Theft? (laughs) Easy to dismiss, right? Because it's unlikely that we're going to break into someone's house or shoplift. But what about some of the little thefts that might happen? Borrowing some supplies from work. Or maybe there's something that we should be paying for, but we're not. Or some income that we should be reporting that we haven't. It's theft. Or lying. Ever massage the truth to give someone a false impression? Ever exaggerate? It's, it's a form of lying. It's not telling the truth. It's a form of not being truthful. Or what about the famous, how are you doing? And we respond almost instinctively, fine, even when we're actually not fine. You see, it doesn't take much to see that we can be just like the Pharisees. We all have the capacity to live a double life, to be one thing on the outside and another on the inside, to act one way at church and another way at home or at work. So when Jeremiah in chapter 17, verse 9 writes, the heart is deceitful above all things. 
I think he's really onto something because we quickly realize that we have a problem. And to make matters worse, Jesus says that it is the pure in heart who will see God. And we all want to see God. But if my heart is deceitful and impure, what if I miss out? So how then and when will the pure in heart see God? Now, there are two aspects to this. The pure in heart will actually see God now. They will see God now simply through getting to know Him, to know that He is near, to be enjoying His presence. That can be a present reality for us right now. That is a relationship that we can enjoy and we can walk with Jesus through life and through every day right now. James uh, writes this in chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, He's calling it out for what it is. But it's a wonderful invitation to those with impure hearts who are double-minded. And he invites us to come near to God with the promise that he will actually come near to us. He's not put off by our double-mindedness. But he wants us to have that relationship with him. And we begin to see God in this life, here and now, in everyday life, in all of the ordinary moments of our days. And so, when will we see God? Here and now. But the other aspect of seeing God is that those with pure hearts will see Him in the life to come or in eternity. When our hearts have been cleansed and changed through faith in Christ, we know that we'll spend eternity with Him. And the Apostle Paul, he tells us that we will actually see God face to face. Think about it. You and I are being prepared to enter into the presence of the King of Kings. And so when Jesus, when he says, the pure in heart will see God, he is speaking of that day when we will see God in all of his glory. Honestly, friends, I don't think that we think about eternity nearly enough. We get so focused on the here and now, on all of our troubles or our comfort. We get so like disoriented by this disruption that we're going through as if this is the only life that we have to live. Friends, we have eternity to look forward to and we are going to enjoy God forever. I wish I could explain that more. I can only imagine what that might be like, but we will see God face to face because of the purity of our hearts. And so it seems that the pure heart is pretty important. And so we come to this final question, how does my heart become pure? Well, since the pure in heart will see God, then we want to make sure that we have a pure heart. How do we purify our hearts? And I want to say right up the front, and this might be discouraging, but it's actually not. It's we can't do anything on our own. But we can do this. First of all, we can ask Jesus for a new heart. That this is how we get a new heart. We ask for it. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, 
God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Elsewhere in chapter 11, verse 19, he says almost the exact same thing. But instead of uh, um, the heart of stone, he talks about an undivided heart. And so again, we see these themes running throughout Scripture. And when you and I put our faith in Jesus, he immediately starts this work of transformation. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in our hearts. And it's all made possible because Jesus died for for our sins. He shed his blood to make the impure pure. To make it possible for us to be forgiven. To be made new. To have a new heart. And the only way to have a pure heart is to realize that you have an impure heart. And so that you acknowledge that. And you admit your need for Jesus, for a Savior, for forgiveness. And when we can acknowledge that need, we can come to Him and simply ask Him to come and rule in our hearts so that we might have a pure and undivided heart. Secondly, we ask Jesus to purify our hearts because even though we ask Jesus for a new heart and we get a transplant, we're still in the process of purifying our hearts. It's, it's an ongoing process that takes place. And what we do, uh, what we can do is realize that there's a blackness of our hearts that we are by nature and then surrender to the work of God in our lives and he will continue to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Philippians in chapter 1 and verse 6, says this, He who began a good work in you, he began a good work in you. He started something, and he will carry it to completion. He's going to be faithful to complete this process of transformation until the day of Christ Jesus. God alone will do what we can't do ourselves. And as I was thinking about this, the, the image of a dirty oven came to mind. And uh, back in the day, um, you know, if your oven got dirty, was splattered with grease and stuff like that, you might get on your hands and knees and you might spray something in there and you're scrubbing real hard and you're sweating, you got your head stuck in there. Sometimes you're spraying horrible chemicals in there and you still stick your head in there to try to scrub it off a little bit better. And anyone who's ever kind of like manually cleaned an oven knows the tremendous amount of work that it is. And then along came self-cleaning ovens, which is a little bit misleading for the purposes of this illustration, but I hope you understand this, right? Where you simply close the door, you lock it, you set it to self-clean, and it goes to these insane temperatures, and it literally just burns all of the dirt and crud off of your oven, and all you're left with is a little bit of ash that you can just easily wipe Friends, that's the work that God does in our lives. We ask him to cleanse our hearts. And he sometimes takes the heat of suffering, of difficulties, and starts to purify our hearts. This is the prayer of David in Psalm 51 verse 10, where where after he had committed this, this adulterous sin with Bathsheba, after he had her husband murdered, he prays to God, God, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Friends, that is the invitation. Uh, John 1, uh, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We haven't sung the song lately, but I remember um, right around the time where I could, I'd really given my life to Jesus and I really wanted to walk in step with the Spirit, in alignment with him, And it was called Refiner's Fire. And so some of you probably remember this, but the line in there is, purify my heart. It was this invitation, this asking of God that he would purify our hearts and that he would make them as gold or pure gold. And then the chorus went, Refiner's Fire, my heart's one desire. There's that undivided heart again. It is to be holy. And what does it mean to be holy? It's to be set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Friends, that is the the posture that we come to God with. And we say, God, do whatever you need to do in our hearts. Because we want to be people of an undivided heart. We want to be in alignment with you. And we want to do your will. And so lastly, we ask Jesus to help us pursue holiness. We just ask them to help us. Because the pure in heart are people who live one life from the inside out and they live it for God. They're dependent on God to do the work that they cannot do themselves. But that doesn't mean that we're just passive bystanders to this process. Like the song says, I choose to be holy. It's a choice that we make. And that involves little choices all throughout the day. We choose what we'll expose ourselves to, what we will think about, what we will watch, what we will listen to, what we will read, where we will go. And with the Holy Spirit, with His help, He will guide and convict us and we'll make better choices. Jerry Bridges uses this phrase, dependent discipline, to describe how we are both dependent on God and how we then have to exercise our own discipline. And so we draw near to God. And we simply do that through prayer and spending time in the Word because He reveals Himself and His character and who He is in His Word. And so we get to know Him through the study of His Word and through prayer. And we pray as David prayed in Psalm 86, verses 10 through 12, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. And then he asks, teach me your way, Lord. That's a great prayer to start with right there. Teach me your way, Lord. He says, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me, he says, an undivided heart. That is our prayer. Why do we want an undivided heart? Because then we can fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. That was David's prayer. God does his part. He'll do the teaching. We do the asking And we surrender to his will. And we align our heart with his. And the more time we spend in God's word, the more we get to see God's heart, the more we see him. So through immersing ourselves in the Bible, we'll get to know him and his will for our lives. And that's when our heart is formed by God, a heart that wants what God wants. And our hearts are aligned. What a way to live. It's no wonder that Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Because they will see God, not just someday in the future, 
but every day. And so, friends, if you have never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, to to cleanse you from the inside out, you can do that today. And if you've examined your heart, if you've asked the Holy Spirit to examine your heart, and something is revealed that shouldn't belong there, you can pray and ask Jesus to cleanse you from it. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible clarity and conviction with which Jesus spoke. And to be able to say that those who are pure in heart are blessed. Those are in fact the happy ones. Because they're going to see God. So God, help us to see that there's so much stuff that we cannot do. And Father, for those that may be watching this for the first time, they've heard this, and they can feel this strange warming of their hearts even now. Lord, give them the words to pray. To pray something like, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for making it possible that I could have forgiveness, that I could have a clean heart. Thank you that your spirit comes and continues that work of transformation to continually renew and restore and remove the impurities and give me an undivided heart. And so we thank you, Father, for your word and your truth. Help us as we walk this out in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.